When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Right, I'm recording. You ready, Laurie? Um, I need to think about something to say about Ronaldo again. Um, it's getting daft now, isn't it? In went Zapata, who's back there doing a defensive shift. Ronaldo! Yes, this is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and it seems Cristiano Ronaldo just at the moment as well. He's pulled us out of a spot once again, ready to the rescue where all the headlines, incredible. What a goal that was to get that second equaliser away in Italy. I'm Ian Irving and alongside me on this podcast as always is the Athletics' finest Manchester United correspondent, Laurie Whitwell. Good morning, Laurie. Morning, Ian. You okay? Good, thank you, mate. Yeah, Andy Mitten will be joining us once he's got through some sort of Italian border control. He's still not left uh, the country after the match the other night, but he'll be joining us at some point during this podcast. And we're also going to take uh, a peek behind enemy lines once again. We've got Dave Mooney joining us as well for the Manchester City angle ahead of the Manchester derby this week. But, Laurie, there's only one place to start. You've written about it. And it is quite clear, Cristiano Ronaldo does not want to play in the Europa League, does he? No, I mean, that just it, it just screamed out at me. I'd sort of had this idea after the Atalanta home game and, and sort of thought, he's never actually played in this competition, has he? You know, like he came through at United when they're in the Champions League every year, clearly at Real Madrid and then at Juventus. And even I look back on his you know final game for Juventus and that was one where they could have slipped into the Europa League if they'd not yeah. won it in, in Serie A. He goes and scores one of the goals in a 3-2 win, so over Inter, the champions. So, um, yeah, clearly, I don't know, he's got an allergy. Uh, he's, he's just absolute refusal to play in the Europa League. Even when he was at Real Madrid, he just didn't seem to want to go out of the Champions League, no matter what the stage. He just seemed hell-bent on being the one to get his team through, no matter the circumstance. Yeah, for sure. When I wrote the copy, uh, it was obviously quite early in the morning in you know Italian time after the game, and I kind of had this idea, you know, Champions League stake compared to Europa League burgers and I suggested that it even might make him vomit the, the mere thought of playing in the Europa League I don't know if this analogy works you're sort of looking at me perplexed but let's go with it they edited out the vomit because they thought that was a bit strong but it kind of it, I just look at him and think is your stomach turning at the thought of you know going in the Europa League that, that kind of sort of what screams out at me you know it comes Comes up with cold sweat, Ronaldo, when it sort of looks like he's going to be forced Sorry. into this second-tier competition. Shall I stop now? Was this one of your late-night match reports again, was it? It might have been a bit of delirium uh, creeping yeah. in. What time was this in the morning in Italy? <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, eventually filed 4am Italian time, and then my flight wow. back to London was 6am. Uh, so obviously I just didn't go to sleep. Uh, right. and, and there was also, I asked the hotel lobby for to book me a taxi. <laughs> and I came down after writing this piece at like five-ish. And uh, he goes, oh, yes, yeah, so there's no taxis. It's really hard to get a taxi in Bergamo, apparently. So yeah, it's a private private driver. So I thought, oh, that's quite nice, you know, a private company. 
when he by private driver, he meant one of his mates. So I've got this woman that's just pulled up in a Fiat Punt or whatever it is, just <laughs> where the door doesn't work. She's got to like reach into the back seat to open the door. Um, so yeah, anyway, so she she dropped me off. It was very nice uh, drive in the end, only 10 minutes. But yeah, got back uh, and then realised that maybe I should, I'd gone a, a bit weird with my intro um, for the piece. But basically, yes, I don't think Ronaldo has any intention to play in the Europa League. And you can see that in the way that he's performing when he... There's obviously this debate about does he cause the problems that he then solves uh, with his kind of solo efforts? But I think you just have to sit back and go, wow, what a player when he manages to finish that first goal, which is slick into play. You know, credit to Mason Greenwood for the sharp pass into Bruno and Bruno inspired back heel um, to mm. make that chance. It was a chance when Bruno had it from Greenwood's pass and then it was basically a certain goal with what Bruno did. And then the, the equalising goal, you know, we're all sort of looking around thinking this is really bad for United because at that at that moment, they basically, if they'd lost to Villarreal the next game, they would have been pretty much in the Europa League because you think Atalanta are going to beat young boys. And, you know, there's that sort of build-up and, and Ronaldo's kind of force. It's a bit more determination from Ronaldo in this one because he's kind of like dribbling with a kind of bullish intensity. And mm. then the way the ball sat up from Greenwood, which to be fair, Greenwood kind of lays him up again. It's a bit similar to that Lingard goal, isn't it? Where you think at first point, it's a bit fl- bit fluky, a bit lucky, but actually the, both those players are deliberately sort of giving it to Ronaldo in a good position. Uh, and we were really lucky. We were sort of sat just behind where he, where he struck the ball and you could see as soon as he's hit it, he's going in the far corner and he comes and celebrates down by down by in front of us, in front of the United fans. And it was one of those old school United ends where you could run. There's like a gap from the first row of seats to the, to the glass plastic partition, stopping the film actually coming on the pitch. But you've got this mad rush from all the fans down from the top of the stands down to the sort of front to kind of try and celebrate with them. Um, but it was a, it was a special moment, albeit in the context of scraping a draw against Atalanta in a very patchy performance. <laughs> We've been here before, Don't haven't we? Don't worry about that, Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a great article actually, Mark Critchley writing for the Independent. Um, He's good, Mark. Saying about how difficult it is to write a Manchester United ma- match report on the whistle just at the minute because they find new and inventive ways to challenge you with rescuing points or winning games or whatever it might be. I mean, Mark, I can help you. Just write Cristiano Ronaldo and you're probably halfway there, aren't you, basically? Because he seems to be the one that's involved in any of the drama near the end. And it, and, I, and I guess with that, it's hard not to get a little bit sort of sucked in and carried away with it all. I mean, it, even by his standards, this Champions League campaign has been quite something, hasn't it? It's been absolutely ridiculous, really, what he's been able to do. He's scored in every game. Um, he's, he's scored winners in the last minute at Old Trafford, two of them. Um, in great comeback wins, one from 2-0 down at half-time and now obviously he's gone and done what he did the other night in Bergamo as well to, to rescue a point. So it, it's absolutely remarkable really in that regard. It's been decisive moments, that's the thing. I mean, obviously the volume of goals is is good, is kind of what United fans hoped they would be getting when Ronaldo turned up, but it's it's the fact that it's game-changing goals. So, you know, it's even, even in the Premier League, you know, it's the first goal against Newcastle, it's the goal. It's the second goal against Newcastle to put them back in the lead. Um, you know, each each goal in the Champions League has meant something um, critical. Okay, the, the first goal against Young Boys ultimately resulted in a defeat, but it was the opening goal. It, you know, it could have won United the game. Um, so it's not like he's adding the varnish to you know three four nil wins. It's kind of critical moments in matches, and yeah. the, the the psychological pressure that must be on. The, the technique in those particular moments is incredible, but obviously he's done it so many years in the past and he continues to do so. Yeah, speaking of big moments and big names, here he is. He's through Italian security, Andy Mitten. 
Welcome, Andy, United We Stand editor, of course, regular on this podcast. Uh, you managed to get through security okay? You're in Venice, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in Venice. I After I left um, Bergamo, I went through Brescia and Verona into Venice and got a very cheap flight uh, back from, from Venice. Um, Italy this time of year is fantastic. It's a, it's a beautiful day. The, the train system means you can just turn up and buy tickets for like seven, eight, nine euros. So yeah, Bergamo was beautiful, as I'm sure Laurie said. And um, I, I love Italy. I love traveling around Italy and I've written quite a lot about Italian football over the years and just working out. Um, I've got to go and meet Patrice Ever in Manchester on Friday and then we've got the Manchester Derby on Saturday. So I'm sure we're going to be talking about that. Andy, I can tell you're sort of speaking in quite a hushed tone. I feel sort of compelled to match it. Are you in an airport lounge of some description? I am. Yeah. So if I get if, if, I, if I get told what? off for this, this is real journalism, mate. This is journalism on the go. I hope the Athletic are paying for this lounge as well. It's quite flash, that, isn't it? Yeah, it is flash. And no, they're not. But I travel uh, very frequently and I have um, lounge access. So I appreciate, I appreciate nice. that greatly. Oh, there we go. You wouldn't have seen what Andy just did, but basically he just blew on his nails, polished them on his chest and just looked and admired the shine that happened after that little tale. But Andy, let's go back to Bergamo and Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, you heard the end there of Laurie's last answer about it. Um, incredible. Brilliant. He saved the game for United, those two moments in the first half, the second half and at Tottenham as well. If we're going back to as recently as Saturday's finish was fantastic and is, is appeal. When I walked to the ground in Bergamo on Tuesday, uh, I, I try and speak to different fans and I started speaking to this Italian couple, assuming that they were Atalanta. And they said, no, we're, we're Cristiano Ronaldo fans. We've come from Milan to watch him play. We've bought tickets off Atalanta's website and we just love, we just love Ronaldo. And I said, but you're from Milan. It's a big football city. Who do you support? And like one was Inter, one was AC. And so well, what happened when Cristiano went to Juventus? Well, we didn't like that, but we, we, we love Cristiano more. And then he did that CU thing, you know, when he scores. And you can, you can just see, like, I mean, none of my mates would do that, but you can, you can just see he's engaging with a, a demographic who absolutely adore him and people who buy shirts. And, but the, He's still delivering. His statistics since coming, the number of goals he's scoring, especially in the Champions League. And these aren't tappings when the team are 4-0 up. A, because United don't win games 4-0 at the moment. Is that? But it, it, it's, it's a trend. United are coming from behind and he's saving. You know, He got the match winners against Villarreal, against Atalanta. And had United lost in Bergamo, that would have been another drop in the mood back to square one if you like United would have been third in the group and there would have been a huge amount of pressure again but that one goal means that United could come away from Northern Italy not, not saying it was the Italian job everyone's had on a winner here but it was a good result United at the top of the group after four group games when you consider lost the first game in, in Switzerland I would have accepted that position and Atalanta are decent we saw they were decent at Old Trafford I know they were missing some players but if you try and watch that game as a neutral of the night, it was fantastic. Partly because it was full of mistakes and a lot of those mistakes were on the part of Manchester United. But Laurie and I were in the stadium. It's a tight stadium. It holds 21,000 right in the centre of the city, which I like. They've partly redeveloped it. The atmosphere was, it was miles better than Tottenham on Saturday when there were three times as many people there. But it was all about Ronaldo and, and Laurie and I were both writing for the Athletic. Now, we can't write the same things. So... 
and we spoke to our editors and the editor said, Laurie's on Ronaldo. Straight away, bang. That, that's the headline. He is the main man. He scored um, the key goals. He keeps delivering. And everything else is secondary to that. Clearly, it's a team game and he produces his brilliant individual moments, but he's combining with his teammates. That combination with Bruno at Tottenham and again in, in Atalanta, Mason Greenwood played his part in goals. So it's looking like a signing well worth making. The, the moments that he provides and the, the 1500 Reds shivering behind the goal in Bergamo, they were singing at Viva Ronaldo. And they're also singing a lot for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, which is what I wrote about for the Athletic, mm. because a lot of people are quite critical of the manager. A lot of people want him sacked and, and they're absolutely entitled to that opinion. And yet at every single game, I counted nine chants at Tottenham for Oli Gunnar. And again in Bergamo the other night. And then if you actually go into those fans and speak to them one-on-one, none of them are saying that Oli's the best manager ever. They've got doubts. They're not even convinced he's going to see the month out, let alone the season. And yet they all come together during the match and they sing. And, and I know he really appreciates this. And I asked him after the game, I said, has anyone actually had a go at you? Has anyone come up to you and said, you know, you're crap. You're not doing well enough. You should be changed. And he said, no. He said, it'll probably happen now. Well, let me be the first. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if, 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 if you've got a criticism of the manager, that is absolutely valid. You're paying good money to support your team. And United have not been good enough. And the manager's got to take part of, of the blame for that. And yeah. The fans are singing consistently. They're not booing him. It's weird. There was a, quite a stark contrast at Tottenham at the weekend, wasn't there, with with the very overt chance against Nuno. And obviously, you know, what's happened at, at Tottenham since uh, shows that that reaction has, has had a result with, with Conte coming in. I really appreciate... I mean, Andy mentioned the fans there, and I, I really appreciated the um, the way that we were quite close to them, so you could hear them, you know, a lot. They, they were, you know, chanting throughout. And then they kept in after the game. Um, for like an hour and you kept hearing these announcements saying you know giving them a, a bit of a countdown for when they could finally be unleashed I suppose but they were they were quite happy I think you know they, they were singing songs there was loads of them um, that then cl- climbed up onto the glass or again plas- plastic partition and just sat there sort of on top singing chanting but there was also like a banner from you know a couple of them one saying the rot starts at the top so they're obviously you know having a, having a go at the owners there which I think is an understandable thing to do, you know, to to kind of raise their the awareness of their feelings um, in a match like that. What surprised me, perhaps, I suppose, about Atalanta and Bergamo was that just how happy they were to have Manchester United there competing with them. I, I kind of, perhaps, you know, my own fault, ignorance, thought that Atalanta were already of a level where you know they they knew they could compete with United. Obviously, they've been to the Champions League quarterfinals before. You know, they've beaten Liverpool, Anfield, but there was still. I was in like a pizza shop before the game and, and the guy was like, oh, you're here for the football? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, you know, United. And I was like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, the, the enjoyment and the excitement in his eyes when I was mentioning United and just saying, you know, five years ago we were in, you know, Serie B. So, you know, for this to be even on the same level as United is incredible. And then actually as the game progresses, they were the better team, you know. They had the more coordination and, and the fans were bouncing. This is all very positive, Andy, but Rafael Varane's out for a month. A bit good, actually, because... Before he did well at, at Spurs. He's a world-class player and I think we need him at the moment, especially with Harry Maguire's form being, being so poor and the fact that he's going to be out for a month. I've said a few times on the pod, we just need him to get into a groove now and that means playing every week and, and playing well. So, of course, it's City as well. So you need your best players. That said, uh, Eric Bailly was the best defender, um, maybe even United's man of the match for me. I know, I know the, the second goal didn't cover him in glory, but 
um, each reaction saved United in the first half. And I thought he had a really good game. And I know the thinking behind Baye playing was, okay, you're asking for minutes. We know you're asking for minutes. You're getting minutes. Take your chance. You're going to got, got to take your chance. And he absolutely did do. So fair play to him. Other players didn't. I don't think Paul Pogba played particularly well in Bergamo. And Donny van der Beek's another one who's been saying, I want minutes, I want minutes. And he didn't get many minutes, but it was a pretty bright cameo from him coming on uh, towards the end. And he nearly scored in front of the United end. So that was um, encouraging. We'll probably not start again for another eight games now, but, but there you go. Yeah, it'd be interesting now as well to see if United can play three at the back without Rafael Varane because they very quickly abandoned that in Bergamo once he got injured. And obviously there's a choice now to be made for the Manchester derby this weekend. Obviously, we wait to hear whether Victor Lindelof's definitely going to be available too. But speaking of cultured centre-backs with Raphael Varane, Laurie, you've been speaking to another Manchester United cultured centre-back, or a former one, I should say. Yeah, um, I had an interview with Rio Ferdinand last night, so which is why I was getting an early flight back to Stansted rather than Manchester. So I'm currently down in London, having stayed the night in London, went to BT Studios over in Stratford, um, which is really... Uh, shiny, um, sparkly uh, studio um, and chat, chat to him for about half an hour before he went out and did his BT Sports stuff, you know, with um, Liverpool playing Atletico Madrid and Man City playing Bruges. But we got into loads of different stuff, um, you know, the, the style of his punditry, um, what he kind of hopes to, to do in future, um, whether something in football could work again um, and, and loads of different bits on his relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo and thoughts on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So it was a really engaging chat and we also talked about defending, you know, clearly United's defence hasn't been good enough, um, you know, two clean sheets in 22, I think it is, something like that, um, which is, is really poor. Um, so, and clearly the game against Atalanta um, on Tuesday was another example of that. Um, so yeah, he, he was really fascinating, very engaging. So hopefully people can see that. I think it's going out on Saturday. Yeah, keep your eye out for that on The Athletic over the next few days. Laurie, did you ask him about his back? He's been in the hospital, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, his back's quite bad, actually. It goes back to his playing days. Um, wow. I guess people can remember when um, he I mean, he struggled towards the end. But even before that, there's there an incident in 2010 where Sir Alex Ferguson said to him, you know, Fernando Torres wouldn't have scored that goal against you last season if you were fully fit. He kind of hidden the goal, he kind of hidden the, the, the severity of his, of his back injury away because, you know, it's one of those where I suppose players don't want to complain. But it's a, yeah, it's a sign that footballers they, they do if they if they push their bodies to the brink it, it can you know sustain with you so he, he touched on that a little bit um he was actually he was he was fine sort of talking to me and sitting down but there's occasions where he would sort of wince and, and kind of hobble a little bit um so it's something that they're still investigating to try and get to the absolute bottom of it but yeah it's from his playing days yeah Ronaldo still had him on his feet didn't he with that equalizing <laughs> goal in the last minute Andy what do you think of Rio as a pundit I think he's decent and I saw quite a bit of him over the summer and I've probably gotten better with him now than, than when he played. Not that I didn't get on with him, but I really admire his, his work ethic and he doesn't, he's not superficial. He, he asked me last November uh, about a Barcelona B team player and I watch a lot of Barca and um, he's, he, he's like, can you just check him out? Can you look at him? And he, he was spotting like the, the, the key talents who, who were coming through, but was still way off the first team. And I was like messaging him from a, a third division game in Spain saying, yeah, he's playing in this position today. And I like that. Um, he's still in touch with Vidic. I mean, that central defensive partnership's the best I've seen at United. And I don't say that lightly because Steve Bruce, legendary Steve Bruce, we've got to say, he's getting too much stick at the moment. And Gary Pallister were brilliant. 
And we should also wish uh, Nemanja a happy 40th from last week because he listens to every podcast. He sits at home, he puts his slippers on in Belgrade and he was 40 last week and he absolutely hates the attention. So there you go. Happy 40th, Nemanja. Does he actually listen to it, Andy? He, he pretends that he doesn't, but he, pret- he, pret- he pretends he doesn't know what's going on and then he picks you up on stuff that you've written like. We need to be careful what we say about Nemanja Vidic, don't we, Laurie? Not that there's much sort of negative to say about him, to be fair. And if he is listening, I thought he was a fantastic defender and never had a bad game. So simple as that, really. do against Man City. At the end of the season we want to see us at the top, as a matter. Okay at the moment we have a neighbour and sometimes neighbours are noisy. We can't do anything about them. You've got to get on with life and we're going on with our life. Right, Saturday lunchtime, United face City at Old Trafford in the Manchester derby. Will United have to rely on a moment of genius as they did 10 years ago in the same fixture? Not Cristiano Ronaldo, but Wayne Rooney. Not his best touch for Scholes. Finds Nani. One on one with Zabletta again. There's Rooney. Overhead kick! Oh my word! That's amazing! That's sensational! I just can't believe what I've seen! Only Wayne Rooney could produce a piece of genius like that! And it could be the winner! 2 1! Wow, what a moment that was! And the perfect way as well to introduce our next guest, David Mooney who hosts the Athletic City podcast, Why Always Us. I'm going to brush over the title of the podcast and talk about Rooney instead. you got fond memories of that overhead kick, David? Uh, well, it, it, it's, if, that's, if, if that's all that United fans have got these days, then I'm happy with that. You know, I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll take one of the best goals the Premier League's ever seen if we, can, if we can turn up and beat you there every week. I mean, not that it happens anymore, but you know. Yeah, and it was 10 years ago, I suppose. But actually, you, you said there you've sort of brought up something. City's record against United in the Premier League just lately is not very good, is it? It's awful, isn't it? Um, I don't. Why is it so bad? Do you think? Well, I, obviously... I don't know. I mean, you guys can probably can probably explain better. Uh, but from the outside looking in, I can't see what Solskjaer offers. And yet, every time Guardiola rocks up at Old Trafford, he goes, "No, no, no! I am a tactical genius. Here is how I'm going to beat you." And he does it. So I don't. I, I like it. Just it's 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 got to the point now. It literally does not compute. I don't understand. Andy, care to offer any sort of riposte to that? He's right in so much as. United go to play City and City and City are clear favourites. And I've been to the Etihad, I think, three or four last times and United have, have won the game. And that performance in, in December 19 came at a time when Ollie was under massive, massive pressure again. And that was the best performance I'd seen of the season from Manchester United against the City team who are fantastic. What I find absolutely baffling about it all is, I mean, it's like a couple of weeks ago um, after the the Liverpool game. Solskjaer said after after that, um, I've got a, I'm a, I've got a duty to attack. And what I found really weird about that is that actually when he's when he's got the results against City, he hasn't attacked. He sat back, let City have the ball and gone, no, we're good on the counter. We're going to hit you on the break and you've got space in behind. That's what we're going to exploit. And that's a perfectly valid game plan. The statement after the Liverpool game just didn't didn't make sense because I don't see him, I don't this weekend, I just do not see Solskjaer going, we're going to go all out attack against this City side. They shouldn't do that. And, and even Tottenham at the weekend, we were talking about this, David, after the game, uh, after the 3-0 win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was at... United still, 
despite the investment, despite the progress, or otherwise, according to you, uh, that they've made <laughs> under Solskjaer, they still seem better when they have a clear plan at nullifying the opposition as opposed to solely focusing on on what they do themselves. Laurie, does a Manchester derby at Old Trafford worry you more, though, than a Manchester derby at the Etihad? Because, like we're talking about, really, the, the tactical plans and the results and the performances that have stood out under Solskjaer mostly have been at the Etihad as opposed to Old Trafford, haven't they? Yeah, I think the onus, as David's saying there, is that they can, at the Etihad, they can sit back. There's no problem with that, really. You know, the fans will accept that and, and everyone thinking football would appreciate that you're kind of not going to go to City and dominate possession and play them off the park, are you? So, you know, take your chances when you can. And I think that's been absolutely fine. At home, it's sort of a bit different. Although, having said that, obviously, they managed to beat them 2-0 in that game just before lockdown came, which yeah. was one of the big moments for Solskjaer, you know, fist pumping as he's walking um, off down the Stretford end. Um, and, and that was, but again, that was, they got a goal early, you know, inventive sort of set piece, and then they were able to kind of stay compact and sit in and then, you know, get the, the second goal sort of late on from an Edison sort of mistake. So I don't know what, what David thinks. Do you, do you, do you, would you prefer to play at Old Trafford against Man United? Do you think you've got that gives you more of an incentive? It's really weird because um, I, I, I've not got the numbers off the top of my head at the moment, but I, I, it feels like the away sides do better in the derby at the moment. One win in six years for United in the Premier League at Old Trafford against City off the top of my head. Yeah, and I, I, like you were saying, I think like Andy was saying, I think it was the Etihad is, is not a good place for City against United at the minute. United keep coming to the Etihad and winning. So um, maybe, maybe it does favour the away side and maybe that's... That, that should give me a bit more confidence. I think that it's the way City have been playing lately. If 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 United can if United can stop City centre backs finding that pass to Rodri in the middle of the pitch, then City could have a problem. It sounds daft that it's just one pass that you've got to cut out. But if City can get the ball into, into Rodri and he can turn, then he has options ahead of him. If you can cut that pass out, that City tend to go wide and they just play it in a horseshoe formation around the edge of the box and you can sit in and defend that quite easily. So it, it really de- it depends, I think, entirely on what Solskjaer does this game. I think we know what Guardiola's going to do and what he'll try to do. How Solskjaer sets up could be whether whether City win the derby, United win the derby, or whether it's another tight one like it was about this time last year where both teams went, you know, we're feeling it a bit. Let's let's not do anything too dangerous here and just settle for a nil-nil from about 10 minutes in. Yeah, let's hope it's not nil-nil, definitely. <laughs> um, your colleague Sam Lee from Why Always Us has written a really interesting article on The Athletic at the minute about who on earth is going to start this game for Manchester City because of the different options and the options of false nines and De Bruyne's fitness and, and just the whole situation really just... You know, surrounding the team selection for Guardiola at the weekend. I mean, what sort of shape is City actually in, David? In your mind, heading into this game, I, I think good and bad. Um, they've they've got a lot of players available, and they've got um, that they, they don't have any injury issues. Uh, form has been a little bit of an issue for a couple of players. Grealish is feeling it a little bit. I think uh, he's out of position a little bit, and he, there's, there's been a lot of pressure on him to perform. And I think he, I think he could do with a a little bit of time out of the spotlight. De Bruyne looks he looks like he's playing foggy at the moment it looks like everything he's doing he's trying is is just kind of in cloud and it's not right not really um hitting that's the not right like notes. him at all either, no it's it? not um i i think he's 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 had he had the the injury in the champions league finally had um an injury for belgium over the summer where he himself has said i think um that if he'd known the effects that the painkilling injections were going to give him uh, he wouldn't have done it so I, I think he's. I think he just needs a little bit of time to to get back into the swing of things. So I I can see him not playing in the derby as well. Um, Sterling has been out of form for eighteen months or so. It's been a real concern. 
Uh, and that leaves you with um, Foden, who's been playing well. Bernardo has been playing really well this season. And Mares, who has quietly been doing well this season. Gabriel Jesus as well. Yeah, Jesus has been great. I think I, yeah. what, I, what I would like to see him do for this game, I'd like to see him put Jesus in the centre, Sterling wide right and Foden wide left, really try and stretch the game. So no false nine at all. No, no false nine. Yeah. feature, hasn't it? Well, the problem that City have had lately is with that false nine, they... They keep they, they keep getting the ball to that tap-in position that they always do and then pulling it across and there's nobody there to tap it in. So I, I'd quite like to have somebody just t- like gambling and taking that that, that chance. So I think Jesus uh, through the middle, it's not, he said himself he'd rather play wide right, um, but I'd like to see them start how they finished on Wednesday night. They look good at the at the end of that Bruges game, albeit it is, it is Bruges. It's not, it's not United or Liverpool or Chelsea or whoever, um, but they did look good. And it's the first time in a long time that Sterling looked dangerous. Uh, so I'd, I'd actually weirdly quite like to see him thrown into this game, uh, but wide on the right, play him on the left. And I think he's very easily nullified at the moment. Yeah, and Wan-Bissaka has always had good games, it seems, against Raheem Sterling as well when he's played on the yeah. left, whereas against Phil Foden, he's caused lots of problems and been completely different thank you very much for joining us mate and giving us a view behind the uh, enemy curtain so to speak enjoy the weekend or not I'll do my best I don't think I will be able to but I'll do my best cheers Dave <laughs> it's interesting actually because I think at the start of this season, every team seems to have had their sort of turn in the spotlight. United was quite early on with Ronaldo uh, and sort of boosting the idea that they could challenge for the title. Obviously, things have changed a little bit since then. Um, City have had their moments where they've shone. Liverpool certainly have. Chelsea at the moment seem to be the ones in their top of the table as well. But maybe maybe United are catching City at a good time, considering what David said there about the uncertainty about who's going to play, even sort of the style that Guardiola is, is going to take in that front three, because normally it's so set, isn't it? So perhaps they can capitalise on that little bit of uncertainty. Who who do you expect United to play in this game, Laurie? Are they going to stick with the formation of 3-5-2 as well, or do you see them going back to four at the back like they changed to in Italy? I think they would have stuck with a three at the back had it gone better in Atalanta and had Rafa Varane not got injured. Now, obviously, you've got a question mark over does he revert back to the sort of 4-2-3-1, which has had success against City you know, in the past. I guess it depends on Lindelof's fitness. If, if he's not fit, then you can discard it, really. I know there's an option of putting Luke Shaw as a left centre-half and, and Tellez as a wing-back, which I think was discussed before the Spurs game, but then Varane came back. So I suppose that still is a possibility with Eric Bailly sort of doing well against Atalanta, although I know that there's a, you know some people look at those first two the two goals that Atalanta scored and, and say Bailey was at fault for both of them. So I, I don't know, I think a push comes to shove, I probably expect them to go 4-2-3-1. We know Fred and McTominay in midfield and and, and then, you know, the, the strike force, as you'd expect, I suppose. Um, the, the kind of funny thing, I suppose, to consider is that Anthony Marshall has always actually done pretty well against Man City, you know, away at the Etihad, was his best performance of the season. He scored in the home game before lockdown. Um, and also part of that 2-1 victory that Andy mentioned um, in 2019 when Solskjaer's job was really on the line. So, but he's been, you know, he was out of the squad against Spurs and was on the bench um, for Atalanta, didn't, didn't come on. So he, he's really on the periphery at the moment. So, you know, but it's just interesting to consider that he's done well against City in the past, but I don't think he'll get a look in this time. 
Yeah, Dan James has done well <laughs> as well. I don't think he's getting a look in either. I don't really know why I asked you, Laurie, to be honest, about the starting eleven. I should have just gone to our, <laughs> our starting eleven guru from last week, Andy Mitten, who predicted the Manchester United team exactly for Tottenham. So, Andy, get your crystal ball out again. Who's going to start? No, I'm not going to because I don't want Guardiola <laughs> listeners to this podcast. and It doesn't need ammunition. <laughs> and uh, all I'm going to predict is that Edinson Cavani is going to be the main man. And uh, that, that is it. I'm not giving up my 100% record because I spent 19 hours predicting that team at Tottenham and I've only got half an hour to do this one. Cavani, I'm nervous about this game. I mean, I wouldn't be absolutely stunned if City uh, hammered United, sadly. And I would expect United to be more of the Tottenham-style formation um, than, than going all-out attacking. I think United are still at a very tender, tender moment. Um, there's still an awful lot of pressure on the manager. I mean, getting a draw against City would be would be credible. I don't think United ever go into a game expecting or hoping to get a draw, especially at Old Trafford. But I think there's a little bit of needs must still. And I think when you've got Ronaldo and Cavani up front, um, you've got two players there who could score on the counter. Um, Laurie was right to mention Anthony Martial last year. Tactically, and Oli gets hammered sometimes for his tactics. He got that so right at the Etihad. And Martial, he had his best game. But United needed luck that day. United knew that City would break their lines. They knew that they were going to be under pressure a lot. And I've seen City do too well in Manchester derbies at Old Trafford in the last decade. And that McTominay, though the last game before lockdown, it was brilliant. Everyone sort of, that was the memory of the last visit to Old Trafford was, was beating City and Everyone's staying behind in the Stratford end and singing, but I'm a bit nervous. Yeah, I'm glad you've said this once David's gone. I don't think you needed any more ammunition, to be honest, Andy. <laughs> right, OK, that's it then for Talk of the Devils. Thank you so much to Laurie and Andy for joining us. For all the best preview and review of the Derby, go to The Athletic. If you've not got a subscription, you can get a 33% discount off a new one when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash pod. But for now... Fingers crossed for Saturday, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The Athletic.